0: hello and welcome to the archbishop's corner this is where we meet each week to talk with hartford archbishop leonard blair about faith morals the life of the church today and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world this is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Have you ever been in a totally pitch-black room where it seems as if there are things everywhere? Even when you know where everything is or where it was the last time you saw it, if the place is pitch black, everything feels different. In a pitch black room, you stretch out your arms because you expect to crash into a wall or a piece of furniture. Even in a familiar place, once the lights go out, you expect something to jump out and attack you. In other words, in the darkness, you expect to get hurt. There are times in life when you can expect to be in the darkness when you will not be able to see what is directly in front of you or what is over in the corner. In these times, you must rely on your instincts and your memory. You must also realize that you are not in control. God is. When you find yourself in the darkness of an unfamiliar experience, do not fight God for control. Do not grope, grab, or swat off imaginary demons. Rather than shielding yourself from the expectation of pain, surrender. Drop your hands to your side. Take a long, deep breath. Concentrate on one thing that you know. Remember that God loves you and will protect you no matter where you are. Remember that what you can't see, God can. When you invoke the light of God to lead you and protect you, you will miraculously be able to see the way in or a new way out. It's here in the Archbishop's Corner where the darkness of the past, the unknown of the future, or the difficulty of the present are all put into perspective through the faith leadership of Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for meeting us in the Archbishop's Corner, where you help us affirm, through faith, the light of God's love residing in every life. Anything occupying your time since last we met that you'd like to share with us? Well, there's much that's occupying my time, but I can't think of anything out of the ordinary that would be of particular interest. It's funny, in our fast-paced world in which we all participate... Everyone expects you to be a multitasker, taking on too many tasks at once. However, this is a day in which we recognize single-tasking. We are encouraged to do only one thing at a time without feeling guilty about it. There simply aren't enough hours to get everything done some days. Don't you agree?
1: Oh, I do. I think you have to have priorities, you know. And in my position, you also have to know how to delegate certain things. But, uh, you know, I think, for example, uh, one of the things this time of year that's very much on my mind still is our archdiocese and Synod. You know, we started the Synod, the the great long weekend meeting we had at the end of October with two delegates from each parish. And on Pentecost Sunday of this year, we are going to have a major uh, celebration of Mass in a public uh, venue that holds thousands of people, and we're hoping very much that each parish will send enough delegates to make this truly a big diocesan event. But what I'm getting at is that by that occasion, I have to have thoughtfully and prayerfully come up with a a kind of closing, or I should say opening document. Uh, that is to say a challenge and a, and a way forward for all of us on the diocesan level, parish level and personal level, family level, to uh, try to reinvigorate the work of our of the Archdiocese uh, of the Gospel among our clergy and people and religious. And so there's the kind of task where I do rely on others to help me out, and I've had some excellent assistance in this. But um, I guess you could say in multitasking, uh, that was always on my mind as part of the, uh, my, my concern with the clock ticking for that important date at the end of May.
0: Well, we, we certainly look forward to uh, that Mass and the, the grand celebration of the Synod. And the other thing is that we can certainly pray for our archdiocese and for our archbishop as we move forward toward that day and beyond. Huh?
1: Well, I would hope all of our Catholic people would take to heart the future of the church in this part of the world that God has put us in. You know, we all have a responsibility for it. Sometimes I think we're all tempted to think in far too institutional church, uh, terms about our church but uh, it's not. It you know We keep emphasizing this theme, and it was big at the Synod, about each of us in our way being an evangelizing disciple. That to each of us, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of the nations. And I know for most Catholics, thinking of making disciples of other people is kind of mystifying and uh, maybe intimidating or maybe even distasteful because they haven't been raised with that kind of mentality. But we have to, and it, of course, as I repeat constantly, it doesn't mean... Shaking a Bible in somebody's face, it doesn't mean, you know, uh, going out necessarily on the street corner, although some people today are doing that in the church. But it means being a, a kind of beacon for other people to see that faith is important to us, that it makes a positive difference in our life, that we're not afraid to speak about it, we're not afraid to be spiritual. And I think so many of our Catholic people are so intimidated about that today and so awkward feeling that they can't do this. And of course, their society makes it hard because you're kind of slapped down when it comes to any religious uh, significance. But you know, honestly, I saw I remember before the last Super Bowl, I saw a commercial on TV where they had some guys in front of a TV with a game and and the thing flashed on saying, "This is your religion."
0: Yeah. And
1: you know, I think to myself, it's true that for a lot of American people, sports has almost become kind of a religion, and they're not practicing. Uh, their faith in, in church. Uh, so not to be dour about it, but yeah, we have to get out there and, and be counted. We have to be Christ's witnesses.
0: Well, well and, what, uh, look, look at this. Supposing supposing the, the M V P for the Super Bowl was to come to dinner at your house. And you'd be most welcome. And, and what would you do though? You would want to invite as many people as possible to come to your house for dinner to meet this MVP, wouldn't you? The same thing with the be, bounds of courtesy. <laughs> right. But the same thing should be true about about Christ and introducing other people to Christ. We should want to introduce as many other people to Christ as we possibly can. If He is important in our lives, then we would want to share Him with as many as possible.
1: Absolutely, because we ultimately have to be concerned about the eternal welfare of of our neighbor. You know, and uh, I mean, in a day when uh, the common philosophy and, and spirituality is that it doesn't make any difference what you believe and that you know I suppose everybody's going to heaven anyway well you don't have much motivation for doing that but that's not what the gospel says it's not what the church teaches It's not what the great spirituality of the church and its many saints has been for two thousand years and so you know there is an urgency and importance uh, a life-changing decision and uh, eternal destiny that's involved in these things and we we really have to we really have to do what christ commanded us to do
0: We're talking about life-changing decisions this is an opportunity this week to examine one of those perhaps life-changing decisions that we can make because tuesday is mardi gras a time to eat all you want everything and anything and party it's also known as fat tuesday or shrove tuesday the original intent of mardi gras has always been to indulge within the context of Catholic morality and reason, it, it, it is the last day before the start of Lent, before Ash Wednesday. Should Catholics really be participating in Mardi Gras celebrations right before one of the most important holy days of the, of the year, Archbishop?
1: Oh, sure. I have no problem with that. Before, if if they take the Lenten discipline seriously, yeah. Then one little last celebration with uh, you know uh, eating punchki if you're Polish or. All the other things that people might do for Mardi Gras, the problem is that people have the Mardi Gras celebration, then the next day they don't—they don't do the, the. I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people they—they're not interested in the discipline of Lent, and for those who are, and—and uh, and I don't mean to discount that number. There are many people who take it seriously. Then uh, you know, it's a very, very Catholic, wholesome thing to celebrate Mardi Gras appropriately, moderately, and then to enter into the discipline of Lent.
0: Well, talk about Ash Wednesday, because this is obviously one of the most important holy seasons in the liturgical calendar, Ash Wednesday marking the beginning of Lent, lasting for 40 weekdays and six Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday.
1: I find it interesting that, you know, Ash Wednesday is not exactly a cheery message uh, to have dust put on you and be told to repent or to be reminded that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Hmm. People come to that because in their heart of hearts, they know it's true. And uh, the point is that, uh, what are you going to do about it? And uh, Jesus tells us what to do about it. And the church prolongs the message. So it's trying to get people to take that to heart in a, in a good way, not a nasty way, and, and to do something about it. Do You know, the gospel message, when Jesus, the first thing he said in his public ministry was, repent and believe. And that's exactly the same message we have for, for all of us, including ourselves today. Repent and believe.
0: So, what would some of your recommendations be for the everyday, ordinary Catholic in order to observe the Lenten season adequately, or maybe adequately isn't isn't the right word? So, observe the Lenten free-fully, season so, so that yes, so that it does have some bearing on our faith lives.
1: Well, the first, of course, is self-denial, uh, self-discipline, that we 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 force our f- Craving fallen body uh, to to say no to some of its demands, you know, and you don't have to just look at Christianity to know that fasting and and self discipline is part of religion. It always even other religions. So you have to know before you can say yes to God, you have to be able to say no to yourself, mm. and uh, and and that has to do with everything from food and drink to other things. So you are giving something up is really. Uh, just learning to say no to what you want all the time. And, uh, and then, of course, the opposite side of that coin is the positive. So that includes uh, almsgiving, charity, uh, not just in the money box but by your own actions, um, and also prayer because prayer is the life of your soul. And so unless prayer accompanies your self-denial, unless prayer accompanies your charity, well, then it's not uh, fully uh, fruitful. Uh, prayer makes it makes it uh, fruitful so those are the things that uh, the pillars of lent so to speak
0: well we'll have a lot more opportunities to talk about lent and how to adequately observe lent in future programs but let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life and this is where we examine the wisdom of pope francis that's drawn from some of the pope's writings so i'll read a short portion of the holy father's address and then we'll ask you archbishop to comment with your own thoughts This is taken from Pope Francis' address delivered on June 7th of 2013 and is called Always Reflect on Your Actions. The Pope says, I would like to discuss two fundamental values, freedom and service. First of all, be free people. What do I mean by that? Some people might think that freedom means doing whatever you want, seeing how far you can go, seeking thrills to overcome boredom. This is not freedom. Freedom means being able to think about what we do, being able to judge what is good and what is bad. Freedom means always choosing the good because this type of behavior leads to growth. Let us be free in order to be good. Do not be afraid to go against the flow, even if it is not easy. Being free to choose goodness is demanding, but it will make you into a person with backbone, someone who can face life and people with courage and patience. Archbishop, your thoughts?
1: Yes, well, I'm reminded of one of the confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees, you know, uh, where he says, if the Son frees you, then you will truly be free. And they were indignant. They said, we've never been slaves to anyone. And I believe, as I recall, Jesus said, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the, the point being that it's the grace of God in Christ's death and resurrection will make it possible to not only say, oh, these are impossible ideals, but that they actually can be lived by the grace of God. And that is true freedom. It's so simple-minded and stupid to say that freedom means I can go out and act irresponsibly and do what I want. That's not free. That, that's, that's a compulsion to our sinful nature and our selfish nature. To be free means to be free of those uh, temptations to do evil or to be indifferent to good. Uh, freedom means that we can actually fulfill the highest calling and highest aspirations and the goodness for which we were created.
0: I like what the Pope says, do not be afraid to go against the flow, even if it is not easy. And and certainly, especially for young people, I think, who are very easily motivated and manipulated by what their peers think of them, it's not easy for them to go against the flow and to do what is right, to choose to do what is right, instead of going along with what the crowd suggests.
1: Well, I would qualify that. At a certain point, we might have said that about youth, but today, I think we have to say it about everybody. That's true. Uh, It's not easy because when now the laws of our country uh, mandate things that are immoral and contrary to God's law, uh, the pressure to conform by everybody, not just young people, Mm -hmm. is absolutely terrific. And how many people are folding up and just saying, well, if it's legal, it has to be moral. If it's legal, it has to be good. And so there are all kinds of things that are now legal that are contrary to God's law and, the, the, and the, the very law of God written into the human heart and the human body. So it's, it's, it's never been easy, not just for young people, but for all of us.
0: Very good point. Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 23rd day of February. Today's reading is from Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, asking
2: for your thoughts. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Archbishop, what are your thoughts about this gospel?
1: Well, I think it's a continuation of these readings uh, that we are hearing uh, from uh, Matthew that, once again, I can only describe as the radical demands of the gospel. Jesus is saying that the old law was on the right path, but it it did not reach the perfection of the law, the fullness of the law that Jesus uh, has come to reveal. And these things, if it weren't for Christ on the cross, we would say these things are impossible and they're even repugnant. But we have to, when we see what happened with Jesus, who's gone before us as the perfecter of our faith, then we have to do as he did. Knowing that our vindicator lives, and knowing that precisely because we submit ourselves to what appears to be evil or not just appears to be but is evil, and to things that are unjust and to things that that uh, go against the grain of our feelings of hatred or vengeance or whatever, that if we are godlike in imitating Jesus, then we will be vindicated, and we will find. A solution or a resolution in God that lasts forever.
0: When Jesus says, offer no resistance to one who is evil, he's not suggesting that we do nothing about evil. What is he suggesting then?
1: Well, I, the, Jesus is offering here uh, a certain amount of nonviolence. Um, that is not to say that, the, uh, that the, the public order and good of society does not call for uh, justice, uh, and for protection of people. But Jesus is saying that we can certainly abandon any belief that, that we alone can counter this by descending to the same level. But rather, we have to look at a higher law and be willing to even suffer, and, and also to extend ourselves very generously to go beyond the letter of the law. You know, Jesus, again, these are not meant to be literal. You know, uh, should anyone ask you to go for one mile, go for two. Uh, it's, it's, it's a principle of, uh, of service and of, of self-giving that we are to go beyond what we're strictly obligated to do by the law. We're to go beyond that, uh, knowing that uh, we have a just judge and a rewarder who is in heaven and who will
0: reward us. Is it love that takes us beyond the law? For instance, if someone wants my tunic, I'm to give him my cloak as well. Give to the one who asks of you. Do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. I would think that it would be the motivation of of loving that gives me the opportunity to do that, to give and go beyond just giving what the person asks of me.
1: Well, look at it this way. If this world were all that there is, then these kind of calculations that we make would probably make sense. But if, the, the, but the fact that this world is not all there is. Mm. In fact, this world is a drop in a bucket. It's a flash in a pan, compared to all eternity. Uh, Jesus says, if you live by the perfect law of love, which I have lived and have shown you, then you have nothing to lose. You're you're, you're not going to lose. You're going to gain. Uh, uh, and that takes a deep faith on our part. But that's the reality. You know. I often say, you know, God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful and we can't understand how that can be. But we will see one day in, in eternity what that means. So we don't have to get all upset about uh, vindicating ourselves or whatever. We we uh, are trying to, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we become just uh, pin cushions. you know. We obviously yeah. have responsibilities in this world for justice, for truth, for whatever. But jesus is giving us this radical vision of the fact that in the end we can be perfectly confident uh, that our heavenly father uh, sees and knows all things and he is a perfect and just and merciful judge
0: let's quickly take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners for instance delilah from east windsor says in his january statement to the delegates of the world economic forum in davos pope francis noted that quote A truly integral human development can only flourish when all members of the human family are included in and contribute to pursuing the common good." What do you think he wanted to get across to these world leaders in this forum? What can we do to make certain we are inclusive of others on the local level as we go about building businesses, communities, and relationships?
1: Well, Delilah, you understand that Pope Francis is building upon the Catholic social teaching that uh, modern Catholic social teaching that has its origins in the late 19th century with the popes uh, that continued and is reflected in all the modern popes in the 20th and 21st century. This integral human development is a kind of a phrase that uh, has been part of the church's lexicon now at least since uh, John Paul Pope St. John Paul, probably Paul VI. And, um, what can we do to be inclusive of others? Well, I think it's a matter of working uh, for a, a greater stake of everybody in the common good and life of a society. Uh, that, that is to say that there has to be a balance. you know There has to be a balance between uh, making money and a just distribution of goods uh, and and care for those who are uh, behind or less fortunate. There has to be um, a balance between industry and management on the one hand and laborers and unions on the other. There has to be a balance in development of material resources on the one hand and uh, ecological and social, social impact of those things on the other. So you know, integral human development means it's not just about money, It's also about uh, spirituality, it's about uh, education, it's about participation that people uh, are are given a, a, a voice and a vote and a chance to participate. Now in the United States we have many problems today, many challenges, but we're still more along that road than a lot of other places in the world where people are totally excluded from having a voice and sometimes uh, you know, are very unjustly oppressed economically and socially. Not that we don't have that, those problems here, uh, but we, we have to work to, to, to try to remedy that in the name of justice and charity.
0: Ken from Branford says, Last year, during Lent, I accidentally ate meat on a Friday. Is this an offense that can only be forgiven in confession?
1: Well, Ken, you have a very sensitive conscience. Uh, I would even say perhaps a bit of a scrupulous conscience because Uh, For something to be sinful, it has to be seriously wrong. We have to know it's seriously wrong, and we have to willingly consent. If you uh, accidentally ate meat because you forgot, well, join the club, because Mm. I have done that, too. So And and no, the fact of eating, if you had no intention of breaking it, you just didn't remember, then no, that's not not, uh, anything that needs to be confessed. Uh, And while we're talking about it, with Lent uh, being here, uh, you know, just a reminder that uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are days of fast and abstinence, and the Fridays during Lent are days of uh, abstinence from meat. Um, now, remember, too, in, in church law, that strictly speaking, there are age limits on this. Not everybody's obligated depending on their age. I think personally that the canon law is ridiculously lenient when it comes to those of us who are older because we're not obliged by these things. I don't remember the exact age, but it's, I think, people in their, well, it's very early. And I would say, by the letter of the law, that's true, and we do respect that. I wouldn't criticize anyone who, uh, you know, said, well, that's the way it is. But I think most of us, especially in an aging uh, population, are still very capable of uh, uh, of practicing these penitential things. And I would just say, uh, I would encourage you uh, to 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 follow
0: it, by the looks of most of us, I think we can well afford to fast and abstain during Lent.
1: Are you saying that I'm getting fat?
0: No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But in any case, moving right along, Archbishop, to another question, Joe from Collinsville says, "How should I? How should a Christian deal with feelings of guilt regarding past sins?"
1: Well, I think this can r- reflect. uh, not necessarily, but it can reflect a certain scrupulosity or if in those things that are really very, very deeply hurtful to the person or to others, uh, I think that reflecting on them can be uh, uh, spiritually positive, but only if it's understood that God's forgiveness is there when we ask for it, that if we're truly repentant of our sins, that we, we, we should not dwell on them uh, in an unhealthy way spiritually or emotionally or mentally. Guilt feelings, it seems, are everywhere about people today, you know, when they talk about all these things. Uh, and I, I, I'm not prepared really to, to, to comment on the psychology or even the spiritual spirituality of guilt. Uh, but I do know that reflecting uh, sometimes on the fact that we are sinners, and that we all have done things we regret uh, or that have made a, uh, had a bad effect uh, is fine to, as far as it goes. But we have to also reflect even more on the greater uh, love and mercy of God by which we receive forgiveness for these things. And if it involves harming other people, then obviously we try to make some reparation for that in, a, in, in some meaningful way but I don't think it's healthy spiritually or emotionally to beat ourselves up. You know, I suppose people who don't have the belief and the benefit of the sacrament of penance or who don't um, have a religious faith that includes the love and mercy of God, such as we uh, practice it and and teach it in our Catholic faith, I suppose that puts them in a very difficult uh, situation. But remember, our faith is a message of mercy and rebirth. It's not a message of of condemnation and recrimination, uh, but of healing and forgiveness.
0: And I would also just add, don't deny God's ability to forgive you.
1: Well, sometimes people know that God forgives them, but they can't forgive themselves. But you have to be very careful about that. Now we're entering perhaps more into the realm that requires uh, spiritual direction or psychological help even for some people.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord, as the great season of grace, Lent, comes into our lives once again this year, may we not bypass this gift of God that is meant to uh, purify and strengthen our faith, our hope, and our charity, so that coming ever more close to Christ in his mysteries of his dying and rising, we may be prepared to celebrate Easter with great and glorious joy that Christ has conquered sin and death, and has given us the gift of eternal life and joy. We make our prayer in his name, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, and uh, we look forward to joining you again next week when we'll celebrate together the first Sunday of Lent. Until then, you take care. Thank you.